Good morning. <clears throat> Good to be here with you this morning. Almost to the end of another year. Don't they seem to go fast anymore? 2019 did at least. A lot has happened in the last 11 and almost 12 months. The title of the sermon this morning is Towards a Fruitful New Year. Um, I had some ideas about a sermon. I was thinking John 15. My wife thought it should have something to do with the new year, so I sort of merged them. And I thought, well, if fruit bearing is something that we're taught in John 15 and we have something to do with initiating that, then wouldn't that be a good New Year's resolution? Uh, Joe talked extensively about New Year's resolutions in Sunday school and um, it's a good thing to be introspective this time of year, especially Christians who uh, we know that the heart is involved and eternity is involved and there's so much to um, our heart's condition. Uh, it's so important where our hearts are that I think this is a good time of year to think about that and we wonder what 2020 will hold. Um, it's hard to say. There's, we look around, so many things change. What is solid and secure? Uh, what is unchanging? Those are things that maybe as you get a little older like I am, those are things we want to hang on to. So we're going to look at John 15 this morning, which I think is, is a very... Um, foundational passage. It's a warm passage. It's a very uh, reassuring passage, but it's also sobering. Um, it's, it's to be encouraging for us, I believe, and I want that to be our goal this morning, to be encouraged. I remember using this passage probably for one of my first sermons in Spanish. Um, in Guatemala, probably about 1985 or so. And one of, the, one of the new places we were starting a work was down at Los Achiotes, which way down on the uh, south um, hmm, southwestern side of Guatemala, almost El Salvador, uh, you could actually see from the road, you could see down to the coast and see the Pacific Ocean there, Los Achiotes. Abel Limos and his family had moved down there and they were inviting us to come down for services. And Mark Gingrich had went and others and uh, I took a turn too. So went down there, the long road down past Barbarena and Moyuta and then off the mountain down to this little town of, of Los Achiotes, which an Achiote is some kind of a fruit, a little uh, a tree with a little fruit that grows on it. Apparently there were a lot of them there. What I remember about it especially, like I say, this was a long time ago, um, the people gathering that night, no electricity in that little aldea, in that little town, no electricity. So when the, when the sun went down, Abel's house got dark and people started to gather. They were farmers and they gathered and filled up the little room there and uh, Candles and lanterns were lit, and so we had our church service there in the dim light. 
and uh, I talked to them in my best Spanish I could drum up about vines and branches and gardeners and farmers. And a couple of things that I remember especially, one was that I was getting through to some of them at least. There were some heads nodding and felt like I was connecting, getting some uh, Spanish through that uh, they could understand. And the second thing was that we shared a connection. There's, when you meet fellow branches that are connected to the vine, there's a connection with those branches as well. And uh, that was happening. And it was a blessing. And that happens here too. Uh, it's a big vine. And there's many branches in many different places. And, and uh, I'm glad to be here among you this morning. <clears throat> now, Guatemala didn't have grapes back then, or maybe very few. I think they've been cultivating some more recently, but in the 80s, that was not the crop. There were many others, coffee being a principal uh, crop there. They did have other viney crops, though, and uh, whiskeel comes to mind. With the whiskeel plant, uh, they usually grow them up on sort of a trellis. It's, uh, it's in the squash family, uh, Chayote is uh, the English name for it. Sounds Spanish too, doesn't it? Sort of a squash-like, uh, almost a gourd about the size of an avocado. And um, Melvin Kiffer never liked them. He thought they um, had zero nutritional value and not much in the way of taste either. So he avoided them. I like them. They're kind of like a water chestnut. They go great in stir-fry, uh, like a whiskey um, that was one. They had other melons and other, like I say, viney crops too. So they understood. And they were farmers. These folks were down in that town. And many Guatemalans were. And they understood about connection and about sap and, and energy and life force uh, flowing through a plant and out to branches. And they, they knew very well what grapes were. So that was not not uh, a question for them. They understood these simple parables that Jesus taught, uh, many of them having to do with agriculture. Uh, at home, we have some grapes. We don't, I'm not a good vine dresser. Um, occasionally, they get pruned, pruned pretty hard. And some years, we have a really abundant crop. It's a big, thick vine. We got the Little uh, prunings from Wanger's grapes up in Stewart's Draft probably 25 years ago and started them. And that's what these big, thick vines have grown from. Um, but I don't claim to know a lot about grapes. Now, tomatoes are a little different story. Uh, we do uh, work with tomatoes fairly regularly. And uh, that's our object lesson this morning. Um, if nothing has fallen apart since last night... Uh, we will unveil the object lesson, and if a picture is worth a thousand words, maybe an object lesson is worth two, and this could be a short sermon. So let's see what it looks like underneath. That seems, seems to have fared okay. What we have here, for those of you listening, is a on the left, a BHN 589 tomato plant. Um, 
determinate tomato does pretty well in greenhouses uh, if you can feed it enough nutrition. On the right, we have a formerly a truss tomato plant that unfortunately came down with a case of botrytis, which is a gray mold, and it attacks the stem. And while this isn't exactly a vine branch fruit scenario, it, it is a vine and uh, certainly a vine that is disconnected from the root uh, dries up and shrivels. So the, the plant on the right is in a very sad state. Life has fled, no life there. On the left, we have one that actually still has the root attached. I'm hoping to take it back home and put it back in the greenhouse and get it drip irrigated again and get those top green fruits sized up like those nice red ones are down at the bottom. Vines and fruit. John 15. Jesus told his disciples, this is probably on the way to Gethsemane. He, in the end of John 14, he tells his disciples, arise, let's be going. It's time to go. In Spanish, he says, vamanos, which you know what that means. Let's go. So I'm, I'm assuming, and the other interesting thing, this was Passover. Uh, Passover's at full moon. So there's a very, very good chance that Jesus and his disciples are wending through the streets, out through the Kidron Valley, maybe through some grape arbors in the full moon, and Jesus finds an object lesson there as well. And this is what he tells them. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. <clears throat> Jesus used his last hours with his disciples to teach them some very important truths, some comforting things. He talked to them about heaven. He talked about the Comforter coming, the Holy Spirit. And he talked to them about relationships, relationships with God, with him, with himself, and with each other. So there was a lot for them to ponder on. I don't know. It was certainly uh, providential or spirit-moving uh, who that kept these words somewhere in someone's mind that could be written down then and, and uh, to go back and reread what... What Jesus said there is, is certainly there's a lot for us to ponder. So let's look at, start at verse 1, and um, we'll take it kind of slow going through here. It's Jesus, a master teacher. He 
uses repetition. Maybe he noticed his disciples weren't quite getting it and repeats again and, and establishes truths in several different ways. Gives them bite-sized pieces of the truth here. But to start off with, in verse 1 of chapter 15, Jesus says, I am the true vine. So that's our starting place. Um, and there's three characters or sets of characters in this parable, analogy, metaphor. Uh, one is the vine. Then we have the gardener or the husbandman or the farmer. And then we have the branches who specifically here are the disciples that Jesus is with. But by extension, it's all of us. We're branches in Christ, in Jesus. I am the true vine, he says. So people look for places to connect their lives, don't they? There are causes and there are projects and there are connections people like to make and uh, significance that people would like to find in their lives. And, and we're all searching for something, some meaning in our lives. You know, humanity has many religions and there are many sincere followers of, uh, of all different religions. People invest in their religions. People spend time um, doing things, doing works, whatever, to try to gain favor with in their in their religion. Um, there's lots of man-made substitutions, even noble things that uh, that we try to do. But there's only one true vine. There's only one true source of happiness and purpose, and that's in Jesus. Now we know that in our heads and often in our hearts, uh, but we're so prone as humans to to become complacent or start to look other places, uh, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. And we, we're prone to substituting other vines, things like money, prestige, relationships, or even good things, uh, good tasks that we do in our own strength for whatever motivation to be seen by other people or, or things like that. And then the devil... The devil hates the truth, and he promises security and purpose and meaning in life in many other places. But as we talked about in Sunday school, those things are not satisfying. They cannot satisfy the only source, the true source of happiness and purpose and life is in the true vine. So Jesus tells us that, I am the true vine. And then my father is the husbandman. Um, remember, this is a parable, a fairly straightforward set of truths that it's passing on. And you know, we can take applications many directions, but here we have these. You know, God is also working in other ways. And in in the Old Testament, Israel was the vine. But in this parable, Jesus is the true vine, and God Himself is the husbandman. What I see here in God being the gardener or farmer or husbandman is that 
God is not an impersonal deity watching humanity fumble around in some cosmic chess game. God is, is personal. He's a personal God. He is interested in you and me on a personal level. I get a picture of an actively involved God who wants the best for his creation and has invested heavily in their redemption. And God is watching. He's watching our progress or lack of it with concern. He wants good things for us. And he knows what it would take to get us to a good place. So God is not aloof somewhere at a heavenly balcony just watching this life play out for us. He's involved. He gave Jesus to be that vine, to be the source for us. He wants us to be connected. And He wants fruit. <clears throat> okay? And then, of course, we are the branches. Now, verse 2 is where we, we start talking about the branches. And it starts right in with um, two types of branches here. Now, farming... Uh, involves a lot of different tasks. Uh, I think that's one reason I like farming is because there's variety, right? Um, you get, you know, one day it might be mechanic way, uh, work, it might be horticulture work. The next day you might be using uh, some uh, thinking to work on fertility of your land. You might be doing husbandry of animals. Farming has a lot of variety. Pretty specifically here, this husbandman, the father, is just talking about knife work. Right here, we're talking about pruning. Pruning and cutting. Not, not a really pleasant subject. We, uh, when we go through our greenhouses, uh, we cut in several different places. Places. Uh, suckering, a lot of you gardeners are familiar with that. Uh, in our plants, we do take the suckers off and we try to train our plants to grow following one liter. Uh, they have one growing tip uh, down to a little further down, you'll have a bloom, and then further you have small fruit, and then further down, hopefully, your, your bigger fruit. And uh, red ones at the very bottom, that you pick them. That's the idea. But pruning is, is specifically what we're talking about here in, in, this, uh, in this parable. <clears throat> so removing unproductive wood, unproductive sprouts in, in this case, or dead wood is important for fruit production. Um, you know, in tomatoes, I mentioned the dead vines. This, this vine here on this side that had the botrytis, that can be passed on to other plants. So in the interest of the, the greenhouse and adjacent plants, it should be coming out of there. Uh, the, the suckering on the healthy plant is because fruit is the goal. We want more fruit. We don't want... We're not looking for an office plant here. We're not looking for a vegetative, lovely green plant. We want to see fruit. It's hard to sell tomato leaves. Uh, not many people want them. 
So we prune for production. The other thing we do in this, in this type of culture in a greenhouse is take off bottom leaves and keep that plant moving. The vines keep growing, but a little different in grapes. <clears throat> so two types of vines, two types of branches rather. Um, and the interesting thing here you know, I work on my tomatoes. They have very little will of their own. They don't resist me generally. Sometimes it feels that way, but just like the parable of the soils that Christ gave where the soil had its own volition, the soil had the opportunity to choose what type of soil it was, whether it was fertile or rocky uh, or what not. Uh, tomato... Well, not tomatoes, but uh, in this in this parable, the branches have the volition to choose uh, what type of, of branch they are, and they either accept or resist the work and provision of the gardener, and that is the the part of this analogy that determines fruitfulness. God is looking for willing plants that connect with him and take in his living sap and produce fruit. So what is the fruit? We would probably have many different answers, but I think basically fruit that God is looking for is character traits that mirror the vine's character. Fruitful, fruitful branches possess genuine Christ-like character traits, signs that Jesus' life is coming through them and coming out through the branches. Even in small quantities, the master gardener knows what to look for. He isn't fooled by imitations. Only heart change motivated growth and, pr and fruit pass the test of true um, true life-giving fruit. We have plants, some plants at home in the big house that we just transplanted a few weeks ago, and we overwatered them. And it's kind of cool in there in the springtime, and uh, that's a time that plants are very prone to damping off. The pythium uh, bacteria causes that, and <clears throat> we started a bunch more plants to to fill in the house. And we watched the one row where these were giving trouble. And we've been watching for the last week or two, and we've we purposely underwater to dry that root zone out. We use some special fertilizers that enhance root root growth. And don't you know we're seeing some some um, green coming out of the top that looked fairly dead before. There's some some leaves pushing out, some growing tips. And if you pull the plant up, you'll see some white hair-like roots coming off of the, the, the roots uh, ball now. So I'm seeing some life there. I'm seeing some hope. And uh, we went back and transplanted, replanted some of them. But I think that crop will come on. There's potential there. Um, God is that way. God knows where there is little signs of life 
Maybe your fruit is small. Maybe it's even non-existent. Maybe you just have a flower or a bud. God will work with you. God is patient. God wants you to be fruitful. <clears throat> but the other type of branch is the one that sobers us and concerns us. Fruitless vines, these are formerly living branches. Jesus said they are in me, every branch in me. So there's cause for concern there. We could appear to be attached, but if the sap is not flowing, if the life is not coming through us because of carelessness or out, outright rebellion, the life can be cut off. We don't know that time, and I am very happy that God is the one that makes that choice. But I think we need to be reminded that this is a risk in careless living and a lack of attention to that connection. We need to work on our connection with Christ. <clears throat> that is a place <clears throat> that human choices make a difference for eternity. We'll leave that for a moment and let's go to verse 3. <clears throat> now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Um, that, I believe, would indicate salvation. We have Jesus talking to a group of his disciples here. Uh, remember, Judas is off on his, on his mission of rebellion. He has uh, went off to betray Jesus, but the 11 men that were gathered there with Jesus still were his disciples, true disciples, I believe. They had come to faith. Jesus said, you are clean. Uh, actually, the word for pruning and the word for cleansing are the same. So he could have said, you are pruned. Or we could have used the word earlier uh, for the husbandman uh, pruning. We could have said he is cleaning his plants. So Judas was away. The disciples walking with Jesus to Gethsemane were faith followers. They had trusted Jesus with their lives and had confessed that he had the words of life. Remember Peter's confession? Where else could we go? You have the words of life. And walking with Jesus had changed them. Seeing his example and hearing his words had cleansed and pruned them. So keeping company with Jesus had what, as what had helped to purify them. They had given up houses and lands and families. Uh, there was major pruning ahead. Matter of fact, Jesus, this is from the Amplified in Luke 22, Jesus told Simon, 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 listen, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like grain, but I have prayed especially for you, Peter, that your faith and confidence in me may not fail. And you, once you have turned back to me again, strengthen and support your brothers in the faith. Peter was sure he was ready to go and die with Jesus, but we know Jesus knew that there was a denial coming. Yet Peter turned away, but patient Jesus, the patient gardener, uh, saw the 
nugget of hope, the, the germ of life, that connection with Jesus and his words that gave him hope for the future. Peter became a, a great worker for God after he turned back to, to Jesus. <clears throat> but the disciples here was the, they're the specific ones Jesus was speaking to. But I believe this is a person also who has accepted Christ, the Nicodemus type who comes to Jesus and, and is told he must be born again. So that's the beginning of that relationship, that cleansing that salvation gives when Christ saves a person, you're cleaned, cleaned by Jesus, cleaned by his word. And that's the beginning of a walk. The Christian life is an ongoing relationship that starts with that initial attachment that we make to the vine. Verse 4, abide in me. Now, abide is a fascinating word um, related to the word abode, which is where we stay, where we live. Uh, some translations use the word remain there or be in me. Uh, the Amplified says dwell in me and live in me. The Spanish, I've always liked that, says permanecer, which Rosen would know. Pedmani said that has a sound of permanence about it. Uh, stay in me. That's the safe, safe place to be. Being fruitful, as he goes on to say, is only possible if we're collected with, connected with Jesus. <clears throat> so abide in me is what we do. That's the choice we make to make that step and maintain that connection. Don't get me wrong, this is not works religion. This is God's plan, though. God wanted us to be choosing people. We're saved by grace. but God And God has done so much in preparing this blessed place of connection and communion that the role we play in choosing to come there and abide seems to be very small, doesn't it? But this is God's plan. He wants us to make that choice, to come there, to choose, to abide. And the second half of that phrase, abide in me and I in you, is Jesus promising to come to us if we make that choice. He will live in us. He will abide in us just like we need to abide in him. That's where God wants us to be in Christ a place of salvation and safety. I've always liked 1 John 5, verse 12, where Jesus says, or where John writes, that he that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Sobering words there too, but joyful for those of us who choose to have him. The vital life-giving, fruit-producing connection is key to salvation for time and eternity. Now Jesus, like I said, he repeats uh, the lessons again. Verse 5, we see him saying again, I am the vine, ye are the branches. And he talks about the concept of abiding and that being uh, what causes the fruit to come. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. 
And uh, that's what I want you to remember when you think about this, this sermon, this vine here on your left that is disconnected. Without Christ, without the contact, the connection with the vine, we can do nothing. We know that in our heads, but do we try? Sometimes we get caught up in our lives and with our goals and priorities. But let's remember that if it's our motivation, our goals, or our self-serving plans, it's worth nothing. Without Christ, we can do nothing. Nothing of worth. We can do a lot. We flail around and we break into a sweat and but we accomplish nothing of true value if our motivation is not sourced from the source. Verse 6 then is a fearful one, and I think we should be warned. Consequences of not abiding. This is someone who was in Jesus. But if a man abide not, he doesn't continue to stay there. He is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. The mystery here is, who are these people? Who are the men that gather them? They wither. They become, they're gathered and they're cast into the fire. Let's stay far away from that possibility. Those are the consequences. The necessary consequences are the other side of the connection. We want to focus on the positive. Jesus has made every provision for us to abide in Him. He wants us there. The Master Gardener, God Himself, prunes and works with us to keep us focused and, and attentive and, and to maintain that connection. God has done all He can. So let's stay far from that other possibility of becoming withered and dry and, and being cast into a fire. So practically speaking, got a few moments yet, how do we abide? That seems to be pretty important. And if we are here at the beginning of a new year, how do we abide? What do we do to abide? It's not um, a default setting. It's not the um, it's not something that just happens if we hold still. Abiding is an active is we need to take an active role in abiding. We need to pay attention to the connection. If the connection is important, if abiding is important, and it is, then we should pay close attention to that connection. This isn't just a random New Year's resolution that we vaguely hope to do better at something. We know that this abiding, this connection is a vital part of our life now and in eternity. So, pay attention to the connection. Value the connection. Um, New Year's resolutions work better if we've had a crisis. And I don't know what would be less of a crisis than thinking that your connection was almost lost. I think we need to value the connection with Christ and walk with Him, walk in the light. Uh, we need to communicate with our vine. That's prayer. 
That is listening to the vine who is Jesus, listening to his words. Uh, the disciples were cleansed by his word. We're cleansed by his word, pruned by his word. God works that way. And the, and the vine dresser works through his word as well. We see things there that need pruning. And then being resilient, being um, pliable, being submissive to cleansing or to pruning. Jesus, in verse 31 of chapter 14, said that, that the world may know that I love the Father, even so I do, basically. He said, I'm going to the cross to demonstrate my submissiveness to the Father's will. And Jesus being the vine, or the, the life that we're receiving comes from Him. If He chose the cross, I, was, I think the cross life, a life of submission and giving up self and following the Master, the gardener's will, is one that is a productive one. It's fruitful. So we need to live intentionally. Uh, I was thinking, we talked about the Good Samaritan a few weeks ago, and a number of mornings I woke up thinking, you know, who is my neighbor today? We, we decided that our neighbor is whoever we have the opportunity to help, and we have the capacity to help. Well, could we wake up mornings thinking, how is my connection today? How can I abide today? What would uh, being connected to the vine look like for me today. It's practical. <clears throat> and we don't have time to go further really, but uh, look ahead in chapter 15. We just covered the first six verses there. Uh, there's promises. Verse 7 talks about answered prayer. And I believe that's if we're so attached with the vine that the will of the vine is flowing through us and we are um, we mirror His his priorities, then our request would mirror his as well. Um, there is love there in that relationship with the Father and with the vine between us and, and the Trinity. And then verse 12, there's further instructions to living with other branches. This is my commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you. And 13, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus was just about to do that. He showed them love, the vine for the branches. So, living the vine life, living the productive life, it takes some effort, but it's important. It's, it's the life that makes us happy when we're connected with the source. Then things work the way they should. Um, there can be fruit. Not fruit that we're proud of. Not showy fruit that shows us off. But there are, there are good deeds. There is blessing to each other. Blessing to people around us. There's uh, relationship with the Father that we rejoice. We were glad to read scriptures like John 15 and, and see what he tells us. Um, the connected life, the life in the vine with the Father involved in our, our sanctification is a fulfilling life. So 
That's all I have this morning, but I'd like for you to remember these lessons here that we have. Without our connection to Christ, we're dried up in worthless vines. But we have every opportunity, we have everything we need to be fruitful and to bring glory to God and to be um, good neighboring branches with each other. So God bless you in your growing.